0: Well, my name is Andrew Jones, I'm the campus pastor here, and a really fun moment, remembering this week uh, with John Brewer, uh, who serves at our Brookside campus, oh yeah, you're, you're coming and you're leading us this week, and then we looked at the text and went, okay, a um, bit of a tonal disconnect there, right, jazz is fun and lively and exciting, and this text is, is important, but probably not those things uh, that we just heard read, and if you've been around with us for a while, uh, especially in the book of Matthew, you know... Uh, Jesus is not afraid to talk about hard things. Uh, He does not pull punches with us in general. And uh, I I say all that, and I I really did think this week, this, though, might trump the rest. This might be one of the hardest things Jesus says to us today because there's nothing more personal, right, than our marriages. There's nothing more personal than our failed marriages, than our, that end in divorce. There's nothing more personal than our singleness, our, our relational Status, and if you don't believe me, try to bring it up at a party. You won't do it. It's very personal, and I know for many of you it's also very painful. And I just want to acknowledge up front that depending on where you are, this might be a, a really hard, you know, 35 minutes uh, for you, and I want, I want to tell you that's okay. Um, this is a safe space. We are not, we do not desire to be a judgmental uh, space, uh, place, or people. So that, that's okay. It's okay if you struggle with it. And frankly, uh, if it isn't a little difficult for you, for everybody in this room, what, what Jesus teaches us here, uh, we probably are not listening well, or, or I'm not explaining it well, because none of us really know what we're doing when it comes to this stuff. None of us. I know there are some people in the room here who've been married 20 plus years, and you're nodding along. You still have no clue what you're doing, right? You don't. Admit it. You'll say it to me in private, just admit it publicly. We don't know what we're doing. We're all right, even in the best marriages, one life circumstance away from not knowing how are we going to get through this, how are we going to do this. And maybe you're here and you've you've been divorced and and you're still struggling and wondering about what went wrong, what happened, who's to blame, who's at fault, what did I do, how do I make sure this doesn't happen again? Or or maybe you're here and, and you're this close to calling it quits on your marriage, you, you're, you're, you feel like, I don't know how to, how to do this anymore. And maybe you're here today and you're single uh, and, and you're really struggling with that. You've lost a spouse, maybe, after, after a long time or maybe you've never uh, had one and you're wondering, what, what, even in your heart of hearts, maybe you haven't said it out loud, but what, what is my life for if I can't share it with someone? Or you're single, maybe, uh, for uh, all the wrong reasons. You're afraid to commit or to be vulnerable with someone. You're afraid to be hurt. You've got impossibly high standards that no human being can attain as a way to protect yourself from pain that's inevitable in marriage, okay, right? right? No one measures up. The, The point is, I don't know where you're at, I don't know where you're at, but the point is every single one of us, we come into this space today in a fight. We're in a fight. We're fighting for our marriages. Even if things are going well, we're in a fight. We're wrestling with divorce, the effects of divorce, or the possibility of divorce. Or perhaps we're struggling with singleness and we we need help. Each one of us, we need help. And we really don't know what we're doing. And we have no idea what we're getting ourselves into. And Jesus this morning in his own way, this is kind of how I want to frame this. He's saying, let me help you. I know a thing or two about your struggles. I know a thing or two about marriage. Listen to me. Let me help you. Because no matter what your life stage right now, married, divorced, single, dating, engaged, whatever, Jesus reminds us that that what these things really are. That's what he's doing, we've gotta know what marriage really is, what divorce really is, what being single really is, to enter into this life. And, And we think we know, but I don't think we do. So if you haven't turned to Matthew 19 yet, you can do that now, pull out your Bible, turn to Matthew 19, first book in the New Testament. Here's where Jesus, he comes at these questions head on, and, and like I said, does not pull punches. If you were here last week, Jesus taught on forgiveness at the end of chapter 18. Uh, Pastor Jordan uh, taught us that. And then chapter 19 begins this way again. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings on forgiveness, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him, asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? A few things to note just right off the bat here. Matthew clues us in as to the Pharisees' intent in asking this question. They do not care about Jesus' answer to this question. They want to trap him. They're testing him. They want him to trip up. They want him to fail. And that gives us a clue, really, if you think about it, into the world of Jesus at this time, the the story of this day. Marriage and divorce were just as difficult to talk about then as they are now. This is a hot topic in Jewish circles. That's why they're bringing it up. And, and, and any response that Jesus gives would offend a significant portion of the population, not unlike today. See, the Pharisees, who are, they're doing everything in their power to discredit Jesus and derail him. They wanna get him on record. What is your stance on this issue? Now, maybe they can get him to contradict Moses and they can kind of paint him as a, a teacher who doesn't know his Old Testament very well or even better yet. Maybe they can get him to offend King Herod with his response, the puppet king of, of Israel. Remember, John the Baptist uh, was actually arrested and executed by King Herod for calling him out on his uh, uh, marriage to his brother's wife. That got John killed. Maybe if it works here, maybe we can get Jesus killed. We can get him in, in major trouble. That would be great. So you make no mistake. That's their intent in asking this question. Divorce at the time, by the way, was not uncommon. Sometimes we, we often think of a traditional culture like this, and we think divorce would be very rare uh, because, you know, marriages were strong, and it was really, really difficult to get a divorce, uh, and some of that was true, I'm sure, in the first century, but but many were divorced at this time, many. Now, one big difference, only husbands could, di- could divorce their wife, not the other way around, that's a big difference, but in, divorce in general was a bit of an open scandal at the time, as far as we can tell. Lots of people did it. That's part of why it was such a hot topic. And in terms of the religious authorities, so people would look to their religious authorities and say, okay, when is it okay to get a divorce? There were really two main schools of thought at the, day, at the time on this question. Now, there were more than just these two, but these were the most popular. The first was called the Hillel School. And basically taught that divorce according to Moses in the Old Testament was permissible pretty much for any reason. Again, only for a husband, but, but pretty much any reason. You can actually find these old rabbinical sayings that, that go back to this time that basically say things like, okay, if you find um, a prettier woman that you're more attracted to, you can divorce your wife, that's fine. Or if she burns your dinner, you can divorce your, your wife, that's fine. And that was really what they, they taught, and so, right? Sometimes... We look at our society and we think it's way too easy to get a divorce these days. And it's like, well, the Hillel school begs to differ. They made it pretty easy back then. Uh, the other major view came from the Shammai school is what it was called, which had a stricter position. And basically they said the only grounds for divorce were your wife had to commit some kind of gross indecency is the, the language. Some kind of, that included adultery, but it was probably broader than that. And it was, I mean, that's a very subjective category. Uh, but the point there is, they, they basically taught you've got to have a pretty good reason to get a divorce. You can't just do it for any and every reason. Why do I bring all that up? Well, the Pharisees want him, Jesus to land on one of these two so that they can stir up the other side. That's why they ask him this question Okay, Jesus, when is it okay to get a divorce? But Jesus, you'll notice, does not really answer the question. He doesn't give us a line and say, This is bad and this is good so that we can ease our consciences. Instead, what he does, like he always does he points back to genesis he points back to the creation story the very first chapters of the bible and here's what he says he says have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh well therefore god has joined together let no one separate And Jesus is basically saying here, you cannot, I cannot give you an answer on divorce. I cannot talk to you about divorce until I talk to you about what marriage really is. You've got to know what marriage is first. Jesus is reminding us that marriage, kind of big idea here, marriage was designed to last. It's the first thing Jesus teaches us. Marriage was designed to last. Let me tell you what I mean. First and most importantly, okay, please don't miss this. This is probably one of the most important things we can say today about what marriage really is, okay? It's the first part of that sentence. Marriage was designed. was designed. Someone created marriage. They designed it, and then they entrusted it to us. And if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, which is what Jesus is alluding to here, you see that from the beginning, marriage was not humanity's idea. It was God's idea, and it was his design you'll see that it's God who sees Adam alone in the garden and, and for the first time in the whole Bible says something is not good. It is not good that Adam is alone. It's God who creates Eve in the first place to be a partner with Adam, an equal but not the same with him, and it's God who, who walks Eve down the aisle to Adam for the first time. That's even the picture in Genesis 2. He walks her down the aisle to Adam to present to him his bride. This is all God's idea and he is the designer. Marriage is designed. Why is that important? Because that that means fundamentally we cannot change what marriage is. We can't. We cannot tweak it to meet our needs, our ideologies, our preferences, whatever it is that we want to do. Jesus reminds us here that by definition, marriage is something God designed and God created, not something that we invented and therefore have the right to make in our own image however we want. Now, I've used this analogy before, uh, and I think it's helpful, uh, your, <laughs> here it is. Your, your marriage um, is like a car, or marriage in general is like a car, okay? Your cars have a design. There is a manual in your car right now that goes with it. You've never read it, but it's there, I swear there are very specific instructions on how to use your car. What it is for, what it can do, what it cannot do. And if, if I ignore that design, if I question that design, if I decide I know better than that design, I put myself in danger and I put others around me in danger. If I decide that the D on my transmission should really be an R, Right, I've got an Allstate commercial on my hands. That's, that's the, the same is true of marriage. It's designed. It's designed in a specific way for specific reasons. And you, and you see some of those details here. It was designed for a man and a woman. Jesus makes that very clear, quoting Genesis 1 and 2. It was designed for unparalleled intimacy. It's an exclusive relationship. Jesus says the two become one flesh. That's not just a physical thing. That's an emotional uh, oneness, it's a spiritual oneness, it's a financial life oneness. It's designed for a specific reason, and it was designed to last. Jesus concludes with this, he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate, no one should separate. In other words, divorce, which we're gonna talk about soon, divorce was never, ever, 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 ever a part of God's design, never the thing we call marriage, it was designed to last a lifetime. So if you're married, or you're thinking about getting married, or you're single, but someday you want to be married, you've got to know what you're getting into. You have to know. Marriage is fundamentally not about you. This was true of Jesus's day. It's true of our day. We we have this tendency, don't we, all of us, to to take marriage and (laughs) And define it not around God, what He thinks, not around other people, but around ourselves, our happiness, our comfort, our expectations, and 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 that's essentially like not reading your car manual before you get behind the wheel. You gotta know what you're doing. You know, when I when I do weddings, I usually ask the the couple, um, you know, are there special vows you guys want to do together, and you know, something you guys write specifically for each other that you'd like to do at your wedding, and that's great, I I love doing that, but what I never ask, at least not that I can remember, what I never ask, what I never offer is, and uh, would you like to skip the traditional vows? What I never ask is, would you like to skip the whole in sickness and in health and for richer and for poorer part? I don't offer that, why? Because special vows, as, 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 as important as they are, as beautiful as they often are, they are usually an affirmation of feeling, how I feel about you, and that's important. But that's not what marriage is. Marriage is not built on your feelings. God did not design it around feelings. It is designed, it is built around a promise or a covenant or a vow. And a vow is not a declaration of commitment based upon how I feel about you right now. That is not a vow. What is that? It's nothing. A vow is a commitment. No matter how I feel about you, then I will be with you. That's a vow. That's marriage. Marriage includes our feelings and our affections, but it's not based on those things. It's built on a promise, which sounds really good on paper, doesn't it? It just sounds so good. But (laughs) if you've been married, it's so much harder than that. And here's when you put two broken, sinful human beings together which is what all of us are, if you put two people like that together, and you throw life at that, you throw life at that relationship, you throw financial stress, you throw children, you throw ego, you throw greed, job stress, you throw in-laws at that, right? Conflict will happen. Bad choices will happen. Hurtful things will happen. And your feelings will betray you. They are not trustworthy. But the relationship is not built on that. It's a promise. It's built on a no matter what promise. It's built on an even if I'm unhappy promise. It's built on a this is way harder than I thought or ever could have imagined promise. Yes, yes it is. Marriage is bigger than we are. It's bigger than us. It's designed in in some ways to make us holy. It's designed to teach you to put someone over yourself their needs, their preferences, their opinions above your own. It's designed to teach us to deny ourselves every day for the sake of another person. That's why you let your spouse pick the Netflix show every night even though you know it's going to be a house renovation show and you don't like that. You know what it's going to be, but you let them do it anyway. Right? You're laughing, but that's training you. It really is. When when, When you've got a hard choice to make, And someone's got to sacrifice. One of the two. You've been there, maybe. Okay, the big ways, the small ways. That's what it's doing. It's not an affirmation. Marriage is not an affirmation of my feelings and passions, first and foremost. It is an affirmation of God's design and my commitment to that. To honor him, to reflect the kind of love and commitment he has for me and his people, to tell his story. That's what marriage is. Is four. We could keep talking about that, but the, sa- the Pharisees are not satisfied with, with this. They come right back at Jesus with a, another question. You see it in verse seven. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? The Pharisees are like, Jesus, don't get all preachy on us. Moses said we could do this. It's in Deuteronomy 24, Jesus. Go read it. Answer the question <laughs> When is it okay to get a divorce? And Jesus will basically say, well, Moses, first of all, Moses did not command you to get divorced. He says, you go back and read Deuteronomy 24. He didn't command you. He didn't even encourage you. Moses permitted you. See, this is, this is a concession. This is a necessary evil that Moses is addressing. You look at verse eight. Jesus says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives But from the beginning, it was not so. You see, God didn't come up with divorce. This is not his plan. We did that. We did that. We are a mess. And divorce only exists because we, for all of human history and every time, place, culture, have made a mess of marriage. Every one of us. This is the second thing you learn here. Jesus puts it. He says, our hardness of heart is why Moses had to talk about divorce in the first place. You see, it's our, it's our hardness of heart that leads to spousal abuse and domestic violence, that leads to adultery and betrayal, that leads to spousal desertion, that leads to children born out of wedlock, very often for selfish reasons. They have a right to two parents who love them, but they're denied that right, because of, often because of hardness of heart. It's that Hardness of heart that many social evils and injustices that center around our inability as men and women to deal with one another with love and respect and dignity, even if we're not married, married or not. And it's our hardness of heart that leads marriages to fall apart when they should not. It's hardness of heart that makes each one of us try to make marriage fit around me and mine instead of the design of the creator. And it's the same hardness of heart that threatens every marriage, even good marriages at every turn. It's our selfishness. It's our greed, it's our bitterness, it's our lust. This is why divorce exists. It's not because of God, it's because of us. And, and we have to wrestle with that. We have to know what we're getting into with divorce. And, and I want to start by saying this. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. It is not. This is not a reason but also to look down on anyone who's been divorced. This is not an excuse for self-righteousness. None of us in this room, no one has lived fully, completely, perfectly into God's design for our relationships, for our sexuality. No one. There is no room to boast here or judge here. And there is a tremendous hope. I want to say this early on. There is a tremendous hope for everyone in Jesus with their marital brokenness, with their sexual brokenness, with their family brokenness, whatever, there's hope. We're gonna get there, hang on. But here's the best way I can, I can think to describe this divorce. Jesus is saying, and the Bible really teaches, divorce is like uh, chemotherapy in God's good world. And if you or a loved one have been through chemotherapy or, or cancer treatment, you know how truly awful it is. It, it is a last resort It's the last thing you want to hear from your doctor. It is not lightly prescribed. It is not something God wants ever, and we should never want either. And even when it is permitted, it does incredible and irreversible damage to us, our spouses, our children, and our communities, often for generations. And I I don't say that to guilt you if this is a choice you've made. I don't. You know that better than I do, and I'm not trying to, every circumstance is different. I'm not trying to parse all this out right now. The point Jesus is making, the big idea, is that divorce is always devastating. Always. In every case. And chances are, you already know that. Statistically, everyone in this room has been touched by divorce, whether directly or indirectly, to greater or lesser extents. You felt the ripple effect of that. Most of us have felt the anger and the betrayal and the bitterness, the temptation, the bitterness that follow in the wake of divorce. And it's just ugly. There's no way around it. And that's why Jesus starts this whole thing the way he does. He says, you're not designed for that. You never were. God hates divorce. Not simply because it goes against his design, but because he knows so well what it does to his children whom he loves so much. But to be sure, God's standard for marriage and divorce, they're very high. And the disciples feel that. And you'll see that in, their, in this next section. After Jesus is done talking to the Pharisees, uh, here's what the, uh, they say to Jesus in verse 10. Uh, the disciples said to him, if such is the case, Jesus, if everything you've just said is true of marriage, it's, it's better not to marry. Now, what's so funny about that is most of them, if not all of them, are, are probably married when they say this. Uh, But I think they're only half joking. (laughs) Jesus, if marriage is so hard, why do it? And then Jesus answers them, and it's really weird. (laughs) So I'm just going to read it to you. He said to them, not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who've been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who've made themselves so for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who's able to receive this, receive it. You probably uh, weren't expecting to hear the word eunuch today. Uh, but you're welcome. You're welcome. First time I read that, what in the world is Jesus saying? It's actually very important. And so I don't want us to miss it. He's actually giving us a theology of singleness. The disciples said, uh, we should just be single then. I mean, I think they're being sarcastic. And Jesus says, well, yeah, maybe. If that's your calling in life, you should should do that. He says there are some people who are physically unable to be married, we call them eunuchs, but more to his point, there are some who choose not to be married for the sake of the kingdom. And Jesus says, let the one who is able to receive that kind of life receive it. The one called and equipped for that life do it. That's Jesus' answer here, and and there, there are several implications here not just for single people, that I, that I want us to tease out. Kind of all under this heading that Jesus gives us here that's so important. So he's, we, we know marriage is designed to last. We know that we've made a mess of marriage. And then here, Jesus teaches marriage, no matter who you are, is not your savior. It's not. So first, I want for single people out there this morning, um, what Jesus is doing here is is shocking in his context. Maybe you've heard that before, but This is a society that Jesus is speaking into that not only encouraged you to be married and have children, but expected it of you. And if you didn't, it was because you were weird. It meant, it was a sign of a lack of blessing in your life. It meant you were cursed or unfortunate or unlucky, something like that. Jesus right here, he says, no. That is not how God views you if you're single. That's not his thinking at all. Singleness is a calling It was a calling on Jesus's life, he was never married. It might be a calling on your life. It's not always a permanent calling, by the way, as it was for Jesus and for Paul, the apostle, for example. But it can be a temporary one for for many of us. And And I know for many single people I know and love in this church, and we've talked about this with some of you, I know this can be really hard. I know many of you desire to have a husband or wife. It's not something you you really want. You don't want to be single, and I get it, and that's okay. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with wanting that. But Jesus is reminding you, okay, that the marriage you long for, the one you think about and daydream about, maybe, is not your Savior. You don't need to be married to be a human being. You don't need to be married to be a faithful follower of Jesus. You don't need to be married to live a fulfilling life in Christ. You don't. Jesus is saying right here, single or married, it doesn't matter. And in fact, he may have a special role for you to remain single. That's a real possibility. But either way, whether this is a long-term calling on your life or a temporary short-term one, your singleness, you've got to hear this, it's if if your singleness is not for you. If you're married, your marriage is not for you. If you're single, your singleness is not for you. Jesus says, your station in life, where you are right now, is for me. It's for my kingdom. That's your job. So if you're single, use that and the struggles and pain that go with that and the advantages and the opportunities and the strengths that go with that for his sake. There's a tremendous opportunity in your life right now. Don't waste it. Don't waste it pining for what comes next. Don't waste it thinking God can't really fully use me until I'm married or I find that person. That is not true. Jesus Jesus is saying that's not true. Okay, second, for the married, divorced, or, or remarried, your marriage is not your savior either. If you have a great marriage, you can forget that at some point one of you will be single in all likelihood. One of you will outlive the other. Marriage is a tremendous gift and a tremendous calling, but it is an awful, terrible savior. It will let you down. You need a better savior than that. And, and if you're divorced or you're remarried, and, and right now you're wondering, you're listening, and you're thinking, gosh, can God use me at all now? What if I'm the guilty party? What if I left? What if I uh, betrayed? What if I abandoned? Does Jesus want anything to do with me now? Is there any hope for me? Okay, marriage is—if you, that's you, marriage, your status in marriage, the strength of your marriage—is is still not your savior. It's not. And if that's you today, I, I, repent and give your second, your third, your fourth marriage to God. Where you are now, give that to Him. God loves redeeming hard things. He's, he's, he's really good at it. Give him a try. No one who comes to Jesus in faith, no matter what they've done, no matter what their marriage is like, is turned away from him ever. He will not turn you away. Here's why. Because Jesus, no matter what is happening in your life, when you come to him in faith, he, he promises to be married to you. See, we're not simply the friends of Christ. We're not simply the followers or people of Christ. We are, in the Bible, the bride of Christ. And that marriage is the only one that lasts. Marriage in this life, if you didn't know, it's momentary. Every marriage, even the best marriages do not last into eternity. They're momentary and we're not there yet but in Jesus in Matthew 22, he'll, he'll talk about the, the life to come and he'll say, there we are neither married nor given in marriage because every marriage now points to that one with Christ at the end of time. And it, you, gotta, you gotta wrap your mind around this, okay? In so many ways, the Bible's built this way but the human story is about Marriage the whole human story. Here's the the human story. God made us to be his people, his bride, to love him, and we cheated on him. We deserted him, we abandoned him, and we blamed him. We hated him, and yet he sent his son, Jesus, the lamb, and brought us back. He ransomed us from our sin and our slavery, and at the end of time, where all of this is going. Everything in your life, where it is going is this. It culminates not simply in the return of a king to reign. It culminates in the return of a husband to his bride. That's the picture. Look at Revelation 19. It's the last book in the Bible. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, king. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. See? In Jesus, God says to every one of us, when we come to him in faith and repentance, to the divorced, to the remarried, to the married and and to the single, he says to you, when you come to him, he says to you, I will not leave you. No matter what you've done, I will not leave you. And I will not forsake you. For richer or poorer, sick or healthy, But his promise is not simply until death do us part. He says, you are mine forever. That's that's the hope we have. And if you came here this morning and you read ahead and you were hoping for relationship advice today, okay, here's all I've got for you. Really, this is is all I've got. Um, Try Jesus. Marry him first. And the rest will take care of itself. Let's pray. Jesus, we know and acknowledge and confess that there's nothing in our lives or experiences or brokenness in our own human stories of marriage, divorce, betrayal, adultery, whatever that story is. And for however long it's been in our family, there's nothing we can point to there that does not exist in our own hearts with you. There's nothing that's been done that we are not capable of. We, there are no innocent hands here in this. And Father, despite all of that, you love us. Despite all of that, you sent your son to remarry us, even though we walked away from you. And Father, even though we don't deserve that, we, God, give us the strength to choose it, to honor it, to love it above all things.